everyone out there. Welcome into a quick hit edition of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. We got a quick series to get to and recap with Arizona. We got to look ahead at the LA series coming up this weekend. But before we do, I forgot to introduce myself. I'm JJ Jerez. With me, of course, is Arif Dean. Hello. But today is the one-year mark, the one-year anniversary of the last game the Avalanche had with fans, which was then in the Pepsi Center. So we can still say Pepsi Center in this podcast. So right off the bat, you know, let's just reminisce on that when the 365 days ago and, and what a year it's been since then, right? Yeah, it's 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 crazy to think how much has changed since then and the fact that the year has flown by so fast, but at the same time, it feels like such a long time ago. I mean, just look at the way that things are with the avalanche. Uh, and they're such stupid things, but they feel like they've been around for so long. The arena is no longer called the Pepsi Center. It's Ball Arena. The jerseys on the ice look different. They have advertisements on the helmet. Things look different in the arena. Uh, the name on the front obviously looks different for the first time since you know this place opened. The Pepsi Center... Uh, the press box has gone through a bit of a change. Uh, Ryan Clark is no longer there. Things are new. Things are different. This team is different. The NHL is different. The division is different. The way the games are played, everything has changed since then. It's kind of flown by really fast, but it's been a hell of a year. Uh, you and I were both at that game. I was covering it. I believe you were in the crowd in a suite. We both had two completely different experiences, but it was pretty surreal to experience what we were experiencing that day. For example, I was going through uh, a lot of the images that I took that day, a lot of the things that I was posting on social media that I was tweeting on Instagram, on Facebook, just a lot of the different experience that I had that day. And the very first thing I posted was a funny picture of me sitting at the press media availability. And it was in the media lounge with JT Comfort and Kill McCarr sitting at a table in front of media. We were not allowed into the locker rooms and they were about 12 feet ahead of us and they were barricaded. And the first thing that I said on that post was, LOL, welcome to what sounds like fear mongering. <laughs> and holy shit, was I wrong? Like it's it's just been so much has changed. It looked like it was it was something that the NHL was being proactive to make sure that they get a hold of before it becomes too serious. But in the very same day, something happened in the NBA at a game between the Utah Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Rudy Gobert tested positive. Uh, Rudy Gobert ultimately ruined sports. That's the way that I think about it. A few hours before that, Tom Cruise and his wife had tested positive. So that sort of got a hold of the real world outside of the sports world. And everything went to hell after that. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. I, I like the what you said at the beginning, though, too. How many things are different now that we're suddenly used to, right? I thought that that's something I didn't really think about. And, I mean, you you look at some of the players, even Bowen Byram, Brandon Saad. These are guys that Avalanche fans have yet to see in person. And we know what's the one thing we know about hockey? Everybody likes it better in person than on TV. And it's been a yeah. year since an yep. anybody's been able to watch the Avalanche and enjoy their favorite team in person. So, yeah, I mean, it's insane what's happened. I think it's also insane that everything that's changed that we're now used to. Um, you know, I was watching some of the videos you posted from last year, and particularly the one that caught my eye was the one of you walking out of Pepsi Center at the end, right, kind of saying goodbye to Pepsi Center because by then we knew, okay, it's probably everything's going to be canceled by then. Yeah. But you weren't wearing a mask, and in my head – I was like, oh, my God, he's not wearing a mask in ballerina. Oh, wait, yeah, this was when wait before yeah. the mandates. And it's just crazy <laughs> how used to things, used to even a mask I am now. 
only a year and how, how different it is, but now it's the new norm. It's surreal. I mean, it's just looking back at the past year, looking back at last summer, there were, you know, when gyms reopened in June, I would go work out and socially distance from people, but still not wear a mask. And then it wasn't until maybe September where they started to implement a mask mandate. You couldn't even go to the grocery store without a mask and people lost their minds. And I, it was a different feeling. It was something, I mean, I obviously uh, abided by the rules. I did what I was told, but it was kind of surreal. Like I have to wear a mask, not only when I'm going into a federal building, not only when I'm going into like a mall, but at the same time, I'm doing it when I'm going to the gym to go lift weights, to go do cardio. Everybody's doing this now. And that was September. That wasn't that long ago. That was during the bu the bubble playoffs that the Avalanche were playing against the Dallas Stars. That's kind of when this all happened. So it's just things have become so normal so fast. And, you know, I, I kind of want to stay away from real world things and stick to sports world things. But they're kind of intertwined. We had a media availability today with Gary Bettman and Bill Daly. And it was very, very fascinating for Gary Bettman to recall the past 12 months of what the NHL has been through. And I got to say, there was somebody on there from a from a sports company that covers business-related content for all the major sports in the world. And the guy came on straight up and basically said, without kissing ass, Gary and Bill, I need to tell you guys how great you guys have been throughout this past year compared to other sports. Your proactiveness, the way that you guys have handled this entire situation has been so different. And the reality is it has been. Because on March 11, a year ago today, the Avalanche were playing the New York Rangers. Nathan McKinnon was injured. Burakovsky, Kadri was injured. Kel McCarr had just returned from his injury. The Avalanche were loaded with all these guys that were out of the lineup, but we thought it was going to be like that for a little while. The game goes to overtime. JT Comfort ends it. And then the NHL just shuts down. It was that very next day because the NBA had shut down during the second intermission of the Avalanche game. Uh, I remember there was a site that I, I, I couldn't... At the time, it was the most surreal, fascinating thing I had ever seen. The Avalanche scored a goal, and the people that were sitting in the section right in front of the right in front of the media availability, uh, the media press box, I should say, at Pepsi Center at the time, Pepsi Center, they all got up and nobody was high fiving. They were elbow fiving each other. They were tapping elbows with each other. They were air fiving each other. They were doing all these things that today is the norm. But a year ago, we look back at it and we're like, this is so weird. What is happening to our world? Yeah, I mean, with that, hockey fans, along with Gary Bettman being kind of on his toes and making things happen a lot better than other commissioners, it felt like that night in Pepsi Center, March 11th, hockey fans were ahead of the curve. I mean, like you're saying, they were elbow-fiving. People were maintaining space. People were anxious about it, and rightfully so. But even then, at this, at this point, we had no idea, and still a lot of these guidelines and everything weren't really laid out for us at that time. People were being respectful and being smart about it. I feel like had that same night been you, you were in Mile High Stadium and it was a Bronco game, I doubt you could say the same. So And with four times as many people. Right, four times as many people <laughs> and probably four times as much alcohol consumed. So yeah. you would think, uh, you know, I, I just, I think hockey fans in general did a good job of uh, adapting the right way and just... It, sh it shows from Gary Bettman kind of the way the hockey mentality is around this stuff. They take it seriously, and you can hear in players as they're interviewing every single day and talking about how much they miss the fans in the building nowadays. They're, getting, they're over it. They're tired of it. They're ready for things to get back to normal, and with the light at the end of the tunnel here, 
you know, people are kind of trying to rush it. But when it all first started, I think the hockey world as a whole did a really good job adapting and just respecting the unknown at the time. Yeah. No, absolutely. And if you remember, leading up to that, there was a lot of things happening. The Columbus Blue Jackets in the state of Ohio were kind of in flux about whether they were going to allow fans. Santa Clara County had just announced that they were going to play San Jose Sharks games in an empty arena. And we're like, what? What do you mean we're going to play in empty arenas? Pittsburgh, there was an announcement that Pittsburgh was not going to have fans at their next game. And all of these things were like, okay, so you've already taken media out of the locker rooms. Things are already different this way. Now you're telling me they're going to play in an empty shell of a building? And here we are 365 days later. I just attended a game last night at Ball Arena. I'm going to attend another game tomorrow night at Ball Arena. And we're sitting here with our fingers crossed, praying and hoping and waiting for Ball Arena to get the okay from Denver County to allow probably 10% of 18,000. 1,800 people. So that the Avalanche can sit in front of Zoom camera, not in front of media, but in front of a camera on a laptop uh, and somewhere in, 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 the, in the basement of, of the ball arena and tell us how electric the crowd was because 1,800 people were chaining for them compared to where we were a year ago. It's just, it's fascinating how much has changed. And I'll never forget that very game. So the Avalanche and the Rangers game a year ago today, it was an 8 p.m. local start. It was a 10 p.m. Eastern. It was one of the late games on Wednesday night hockey. Um, I remember being in the media lounge at around 7.15, 7.30, when news started to come out of what was happening in that Oklahoma City and Utah Thunder, uh, sorry, Oklahoma City Thunder and Utah Jazz game with Rudy Gobert testing positive and then the 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 refs coming together and the coaches coming together and then and then suddenly this announcement to 20-something thousand fans that the game had been postponed, you're all safe, but go home. And it was this weird thing. And while we were watching that happen, while we were watching it unfold, the morning, the the pregame skate was starting to take take place at the Pepsi Center, and there was just weird buzz around the arena. If you remember, you know, a couple months before that, when the Kobe Bryant uh, situation happened and Kobe Bryant passed away, you could sense a feeling of sadness everywhere you went in public. There were NBA arenas, not just the players on the court, but there were fans in the stands. You could see everybody looking at their phone, everybody kind of distraught and in awe all at once. That's what it felt like that night at the Pepsi Center. Granted, this is a completely different situation than you know the Kobe Bryant uh, 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 issue, but this was something that when you went up to the media uh, press, uh, sorry, when you went up to the press box, I forget what it's called. I haven't been there in a friggin' year. When you went up to the press box and you looked down at the crowd, number one, the Pepsi Center wasn't even near capacity five minutes before puck drop. And you look around and everybody wasn't really focused on the game. They weren't focused on holding up these signs and asking Nathan McKinnon for a puck and throw me your stick and do all these cool things and take pictures with me and let's bang on the glass. Everybody was kind of looking at their phones in awe, confused, questioning what's going to happen next. What happened next was the Avalanche won a game and then they didn't play a game again until August 1st. That's what happened next. But at the same time, it was a really fascinating situation. It was something unlike we'd ever experienced. And I remember, like you said, that video I posted, leaving that night thinking, when are we going to be back in here? And I didn't know the answer. People were saying two weeks. Some were saying that's it for the for the year. The very next day, March Madness gets canceled. The Euro Cup gets uh gets rescheduled eventually the olympics took a little bit longer mls cancels the nba obviously just a lot of things were happening ml mlb's uh opening uh opening day was pushed out two weeks i believe at first there was just a lot of things happening where the entire world was just shut down literally 
Yeah, I mean, it's eerie to kind of think about and kind of put myself it's back crazy, in yeah. that situation. I mean, I remember, like you said, I was in a suite. The reason I was in a suite is because I have friends over at Altitude Sports Radio, and they were having a fan giveaway where they gave away a handful of those suites, suite tickets to fans, and you got to go watch the game with Ryan Harris, former Broncos lineman, and Josh uh, Dover. Yes. Well, they didn't want to give too many strangers the tickets, so they gave me one. That's how I got in there with them, hanging out. And then, of course, it was supposed to be for the fans where you meet your the guys you love to listen to on the radio and have some fun with them. But, you know, no, nobody really trusted each other in that building. Everybody was like, yeah. I, I don't really want to meet fans. Uh, you know, the fans are like, I don't know if I want to get too close to anybody. You know, it was a really weird situation for everybody. And just that untrustfulness, I think. No, Everybody was just, like, weary of the next person next – of the next person – um, you know, sitting next to him or in the bathroom, and it was just a weird feeling. And I'm happy that we didn't have to force that too many times because more games like that just wouldn't have been fun. Um, so it's good that they yeah. got called when they did. And you know, I guess that's all I really have to say about it is just remembering the eeriness and putting myself back in that in that scenario and just remembering how awkward I felt and just didn't. It was the first time I ever was feeling I didn't want to be in the Pepsi Center. You know, and that's a place that I've always kind of considered a second home. I've spent so much time there, both as media and in my younger years as a fan. I don't think I've ever been so uncomfortable in that building. Yeah, it was it was certainly a, a very unique and different situation. And I always make the joke, March 11, 2020 was the day Rudy Gobert ruined sports. But the reality is March 11, 2020 was the day that Rudy Gobert saved and alerted a lot of people that otherwise would not have been known yeah except for his idiot move when I, he's touching all the microphones and recording when he, yeah and that, that was yeah that was a few days earlier and he was trying to you know it's it's one of those things where it just like it's kind of like that fear-mongering thing that i said in my post you look back at it now and you cringe and you're like how could i even do that and i'm sure he felt the same way he felt the same way days later when things became as real as they were but at the time he was just trying to make light of the situation and get people to not feel as tense because I don't think he's a terrible person. You know, I, I, I don't I've never personally met Rudy Gobert, but I've read a lot of things about him. And a lot of media that have been around him have told me the same thing. He was just kind of trying to make light of the situation. But now when you look back at it, it's like, damn, that was stupid. And I, and I know he felt the same exact way. It was instant regret for him as soon as things turned the way they did. But the reality is, and that's that's the reality of the situation, is that when Rudy Gobert tested positive that day and a few hours before Tom Cruise and his wife had tested positive, that's when it became real. These are real people that millions of people know that were suddenly exposed to this thing that a normal person could be exposed to. And especially 20, 21,000 sitting in, an, in in a basketball arena in an ice rink at the Pepsi Center, 18,000 at the time. So it's just a really, really surreal thing that we experience. I can't believe it's been a year. Uh, Gary Bettman at his press conference today, you know, he talked about a lot of things and Shout out, and I forget his name. I had my hand raised to ask the same question, but it, they obviously didn't get to me. They got to 20 of maybe 60 questions that wanted to be asked because there was a lot of media on it, and it lasted an hour. But the very last guy, and I love the way he worded it. He said, Gary, recently Drew Doughty said, I'm really glad the media is not allowed in the locker rooms, and I'm really happy that we only talk to them on Zoom now. I wish it stays like this. Do you share those sentiments with Drew Doughty? And Gary said, no. He said, as soon as things are back to normal, so will the way the media covers the sport. Zoom is exhausting. Nobody likes to be on Zoom. There's a lot of Zoom fatigue in this world. And I don't foresee this kind of media availability being the thing that sticks forever. 
which is a really, really good thing to hear because the NHL and the world is trying to get back to normalcy, but it's just crazy to look back at this past year, how we've covered the sport. I know you and I have had issues with uh, just, just having that Zoom fatigue and having the fatigue of not really having much uh, access to things that fans don't have access to other than a link we could press on and talk to somebody through a camera where half the time it gets choppy and our question doesn't get answered. And then they go, we'll come back to you because your internet connection crapped out. It's just been a really odd year. But on that note, we're getting closer to normalcy. Hopefully there's fans in the crowds. Uh, before we move on to go back and break down what was a really, really weird. I mean, if, if this past year has been weird, the last two games for the Avalanche have been weird against the Arizona Coyotes because I want to bash them, but I can't because they played so well, but they didn't score any goals. They lost it. It was just an odd series. But before we get that, I'm going to ask you the question this time. How pumped are you for the NHL to be back on ESPN? <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm pumped. I, it, I'm going to put you it on the spot. It doesn't make too big of a difference to me for a couple reasons. A, I don't have ESPN. I don't watch ESPN. And mainly, the main reason I don't watch ESPN is because there's no hockey around it and it hasn't been for the last 10 years. Secondly, I kind of watch hockey games anyway. You know, it's not going to take ESPN for me to watch hockey, right? I still have NHL Network and I still have uh, the NHL Game Center package, so I can watch any game in any market except for my own. Um, so, you know, I don't think it's really going to change my life, but it's so big for the sport. It's so huge. I think the biggest thing about it is just the fact that, you know, you go to any bar in America, any restaurant in America, and you they'll have ESPN on no matter what's on TV because most people aren't paying attention, especially the workers, right? The employees never care what's on TV because they don't have time to watch it. But even if it's darts, if it's bowling, if it's those ESPN Ocho games, or if you're seeing drone racing, it's just going to sit Poker. there. Yeah, it's going to be on TV <laughs> and people are going to watch it. They're going to stare at it every once in a while. And I think that alone generates some ratings, generates some buzz and can really help popularity. I think that's the biggest factor is being on ESPN is just the fact that so many people leave it on as a background that suddenly it's back to the forefront of people's minds. And that's the cool thing about ESPN. It's the one channel in this country and probably in the world where it doesn't matter what the content is. What matters is that logo in the bottom corner and it's ESPN. No matter where you go, it can be an airport lounge, it could be a, a doctor's office, it could be a, a restaurant, a bar, wherever you are, just a random TV in a mall somewhere where there's couches and you can sit down and rest. It's not the content that's on the channel, it's the channel itself, and that's going to be great exposure. But I will tell you why I'm pumped about ESPN. There's a few reasons why. Number one, when you look back at all of our favorite childhood memories with this team, it's always ESPN. Oh, 100%. That's kind of what I was going to say. When you, you, I think it was you that posted uh, the ESPN on NHL song, right? And Yeah. And uh, when I just heard it, I could picture Gary Thorne's voice and talking oh, about the yes, Avalanche yes. and Peter Forsberg and how he's going to have a big game that playoff Raymond night. Raymond Bork and just all of the cool things that come with that, with everything that relates to ESPN. This is a weird nerdy thing that I do. And if you are out there, Avalanche fans, you guys have done this too. Please hit me up on Twitter and let me know. But I'm going to tell you what this compares to for me. In 2007, in the fall of 07, the Avalanche switched from the Mountain Stripe jersey that we all remember and we all know and love to that Reebok apron-looking jersey. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. And that season, the Avalanche eventually got Peter Forsberg back. They had Jose Theodore in net. They made the playoffs. They beat the Minnesota Wild. They got swept by the Red Wings. And that was it. 
09, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Nine seasons that they wore that apron Reebok jersey and they stunk. They switched back to a new and improved version of the Mountain Stripe jersey. A month into the season, they traded Matt Duchesne. They've made the playoffs every year since. And I've always had this weird idea in my mind that the apron era of the Avalanche franchise sucked. Now that they're back to the mountain stripe that we all know and love, they're a good team again. And that's the same exact way that I look at ESPN covering the Avs. Because when ESPN had the NHL rights up until that 04 season, 03 was the last year that the Avalanche were a legitimate cup contender. And then obviously we know what happened with Minnesota in the first round that year. Patrick Wall retires. They go out and they acquire... Uh, Paul Curry and Timu Solani in unrestricted free agency. Peter Forsberg comes back in what was a really odd year because he signed that $11 million deal and there were talks that he was going to go to Moto the next year, which ended up being the lockout anyway. That was a really, really awkward time in the Avalanche history because they had just lost the goalie that they brought in. David Abisher was called upon. They brought in Curry and Solani. Peter Forsberg was in flux, hurt a lot. Joe Sackick was, you know an NHL uh, MVP caliber player that year and made the All-Star game and was the MVP of the All-Star game. And Tange had a great year. And hey, it was just a weird season for this franchise and a turning point in their in their team history. And that was the last year that ESPN had hockey. In comes OLN, which turns into Versus, which turns into NBC. And since then, NBC has had hockey and the Avalanche have sucked. And in my mind, just like the apron jerseys, I'm ready to put a close on that chapter and see the Avalanche on ESPN again, hopefully with Gary Thorne calling games and them going on cup runs. That video that I posted of uh, the ESPN theme, it sort of went through this history of old classic videos, the Wayne Gretzky goal where he passed Gordie Howe. The Raymond Bork, the dream has come true clip. All of these cool things that Steve Eisenman shot from the blue line that he scored against the Blues. And then it transitions into today's stars with the ESPN theme. And it showed Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews and Nathan McKinnon. And that pumped me the hell up that this generation of hockey is going to be connected with ESPN. And it reminds me of that same transition. The Avs were good when ESPN had hockey and they're ready to win cups again on ESPN. Yeah. I, I'm with that 100%. I love that fire behind it, too. You're obviously super pumped about it. But, yeah, I think nothing but good stuff can come out of it, especially in this pandemic. It's crazy to think that they renewed for that much and they, that they're getting forking over that much money during a pandemic. You'd think you yeah. know, money might be a little bit tighter than that. But, again, another kudos to Gary uh, Bettman for making that happen in time where you know it might not – it shouldn't happen kind of, I guess – realistically right i mean yeah it's, it's kind of a crazy time to be just forking over that much money in my opinion it is yeah and it's it's coming in at a little over between 400 and 420 million a year which that alone is more than double the 200 million the nhl was making from nbc and that doesn't even include the fact that the nhl is still negotiating with with a second uh with a second uh, company to take over the second rights. NBC is one of those people that are uh, in the talks with the NHL, but they're also in talks with Fox Sports uh, because the talks with NBC have stalled. I am not an insider. I am not reporting any of this information as my own. It's coming from Elliot Friedman. But this is going to be big for the NHL because, as we know, the pandemic has kind of put a halt on the growth of the salary cap. Gary Bettman has confirmed that even with this deal and with future TV rights deals, we're still going to have a flat cap for the next three, four years. But had the NHL still been, let's say, halfway through that deal with NBC at $200 million a year, 
the cap would probably be flat for closer to a decade which is crazy to think. So this came at a perfect time for the NHL. This is exactly why, if you remember on past podcast episodes, I said that Gary Bettman was really working hard to make this season happen. It was so that he could burn the final year of that NBC deal so that they can move on to this next step. Uh, It's a great step. It's going to be huge for the NHL. I'm excited for it. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be great. It's coming in October, hopefully with a little bit of sense of, a, of normalcy. This is what I want. Come October, the first full, uh, fully attended ball arena game since March 11th on ESPN against the New York Rangers. How cool would that be? Don't you think? Like just a, bre- a callback to March 11, 2020 and just kind of, you know, a statement on how we're moving on. We're, go- we're getting back to that moment and we're just pushing the reset button and we're going to pretend like it never happened and move on with our lives that's what I want to see. I think that would excite me for sure. And with Gary Thorne calling the game, which could be a possibility. Apparently, he's 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 listening if the NHL comes knocking on their door. So we shall see. But in order to get there, we got to get through this season first. Whatever the hell this season is for the Avalanche, uh, they seem to be putting a lot of shots on goal and they can't seem to be scoring. So, yeah, I mean, we're just over. Ha- I mean, just under halfway, the halfway point of the season, and. It's still a tough stretch for the Avalanche. I mean, the the adversity continues, and the Avalanche still haven't seemed to figure it out. Now they're still in a playoff spot, but um, you know they got to be really careful about what lies ahead. They do, and and I'm I'm cautiously optimistic and cautiously worried at the same time, because let's face it, you have a six two five point percentage, and you're playing terrible. That's not the worst thing in the world. This is a team that within a game or two games could suddenly turn it on and and figure it out at the right time and get hot at the right time. We've seen other teams do it before. I still firmly believe that this team can win the cup. With that being said, before you jump in there, because I don't know if you feel the same way, they need a few things. They need luck on their side. They need some puck luck because right now they're a PDO nightmare. They're putting up all these shots. They just outshot the Coyotes 81-28 to over two freaking games that both required overtime. 81-28 to over those two games. Oh, wait, no. The first one didn't require overtime. So, you know, 81-28 to over two games. In the first game, the Coyotes went nearly 20 minutes without a shot on goal. In the second game, the Coyotes went 23 and a half minutes without a shot on goal, and they went over 30 minutes without an even strength shot on goal. They had two shots on the power play in more than half a game. Those are crazy numbers. Nathan McKinnon came back and had 10 shots on goal. He injected life into the team. It was his face off on the opening draw that led to the avalanche buzzing that led to the Brandon side goal a minute 23 into the game, but that's all they could get until overtime. For whatever reason, this team can't score. But if they just get it together at the same time they get healthy, at the same time they get some help at goaltender uh, at the goaltender position, they could go on a run. I still firmly believe they could do it. And the one reason why I have this much optimism is because despite everything that's happening, they've managed to not completely crumble. A 6.25 point percentage is not bad. But it sucks for a team that you're expecting to be better, especially considering the teams they've played. But if you look at other teams around the league, you look at the Vancouver's and the Calgary's, teams that were expected to be in playoff positions, and they're going to be lottery teams this year. You know, it's a good thing that that's not happening to the Avalanche, and it's a good thing that they are going to make the playoffs, like we said two weeks ago, just get to the dance. But I'm still cautiously worried because if they don't figure this out in time, the season's going to get away from them. 
it's just to a point where I've thrown my hands up. I mean, like yeah. you said, it, it almost feels like luck is the only factor. Because what was my solution on the last podcast? I said, let's start simplifying things. Just throw everything at the net, and it's going to start working out for you. Well, that's exactly what they did, and it still didn't work it didn't out work. for them. I mean, you could you could say that maybe their shot quality needs to be a little bit better rather than throwing everything at the net, but you would think th- out, out shooting an opponent that much, uh, you know, like you said, it, it would eventually work out for him. So I, at this point, I'm perplexed. I can't imagine how Jared Bednar feels. Probably very similar. Like we've done every adjustment possible, we've worked on everything possible, and we're just still not getting the bounces. We're still not getting the goals we needed, and Nazem Kadri is still hitting posts left and right. <laughs> you just at this point. You have to be patient. You cannot try to change too many things. Uh, they say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It is a little bit broke, but the part that's broke is the part with the luck, the puck luck, just finishing a few of those chances that you've been having trouble finishing, but you need to have that patience. If you remember last episode, I spoke about Tampa Bay being patient, for example, with John Cooper and not firing him when they missed the playoffs in 2017, not firing him when they got embarrassed by Columbus in 2019, and look how it paid off in 2020. And they're the best team in the NHL this year without Kucherov. So it's working. The Avalanche, I'm not saying be patient with Bednar, nor am I saying Bednar's on the Hussey, but it's the same exact mentality. You know you have a good team. You know this could work. Just give it time to let it figure itself out. And that's kind of where I'm at. Everything else we've said... I just don't know if you have the time. That's the problem right now because we've seen in the past few games they're letting valuable points slip during a stretch we thought they were going to be able to clean up and take advantage. And if you take a look at the standings, you know, at the beginning of the season we talked about how the uh, mass mutual division over there on the east was probably <laughs> going to be the tightest and most intense it seems like the honda west division is the the tightest i mean you've got the smallest discrepancy from first to sixth place than you do in any other division and you're playing la next here with two games and they're only two points behind you so you, you let it slip here they could easily jump you in the standings. that's so true you, you're not you're, you're you're short on time unfortunately this season. Yeah, that's true, but I will say this, the Minnesota Wild are are buzzing right now. They're 15-8 and 1, but they're only one point up on the Avalanche and they're playing the absolute best hockey they're probably going to play all year. So they're going to come crashing, not crashing down, but they're going to kind of regress to the mean and play more of what the kind of game they play. The St. Louis Blues, by the way, the if the Avalanche are 14-8 and 2 and they're concerned, what do you say about the St. Louis Blues who are 14-8 and 4? And they've allowed 82 goals compared to the Avalanche, who've allowed just 59. And they've yeah, only I'm, played two games more. I, I'm amazed that the St. Louis Blues are still somehow holding on to the second place of the division. Because it's a, they've it's lost a game's so played many thing. Games. It's a game's yeah. played thing. So they have a 615 points percentage. The Wild are a 646, and the Avalanche are a 625. The Blues have the fourth best record in this division right now. So here's the thing that I'm saying the Blues and the Wild are very catchable teams right now. Hell, even the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, they've lost two in a row. They're only three points up on the abs with only one game in hand. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I'm not worried and the reason why I don't think it's going to get away from them, I don't foresee the LA Kings who have six overtime lost points catching the avalanche in the standings anytime soon. I really, I just don't. I know they're playing the next two games, but I just don't see that being a feasible thing that happens by game 56. The only difference that I'm going to say with this regular season, and maybe it's it's the wake up the Avalanche needed to not be the 2019 Lightning where you just breeze through the regular season, is the fact that I still think the Avalanche are going to finish first or second in this West Division. They're either going to catch the Golden Knights or they're going to be in second place behind them, which whether they went 
40 and 16 and Vegas goes 41 and 15 to win the division or they do what they're doing now and they're closer to third and fourth place, it still is the same. It's the you know, it's that mentality of whether you win eight to nothing or three to two, it's still two points. So if the Avalanche still finished second place, but it wasn't as easy as we expected it to be, so be it. Just like we said two weeks ago, get to the dance. Make sure you're playing your best hockey, uh, I would say in April, but it's not going to be April this year. It's going to be May, uh, mid-May going into June. Make sure you're playing your best hockey. Make sure you have some sense of luck in terms of injuries and health uh, and the right guys clicking at the right time, and you'll be fine. The reality is the Avalanche are not playing in the East Division. The East Division's got a lot of teams that can make it to the playoffs and a a lot of good teams that are going to miss. The West Division doesn't have that, and that's why... I'm cautiously optimistic, but not that much worried as I am optimistic. I'd like to jump on board with you with that, but that's kind of what we've said the last couple podcasts, and it's done nothing but make us look dumb and bite us in the ass. Yeah. So they got to go five and zero. Oh. Remember when I said right. that they lost the very next yeah. day to freaking Arizona. I mean, <laughs> I, I'd like to go back to all of our last podcasts, and I know we probably said something like, "All right, well." The past is behind us. Now's the time. Now's the time. I foresee two wins here coming up, and then they drop one. Um, So, you know, until they convince me otherwise, I'm still going to be a little bit pessimistic here and just think that they might get caught by Arizona. They might get caught by L.A. I don't know if they're going to get caught for too long, but I think also the hardest half of their schedule is the second half. So it's got to be resurrected at some point, and I don't know when it's going to be, but hopefully it's soon because, again, my hands are up. I'm I'm out of ideas on what's ailing this team because – the one thing I was really upset about, which which was getting shots on net and really attacking the the net and creating chances, they did they did it for they two did games, it for two games consistently. Yeah. Uh, remember our old friend Chris Johnston who joined us from Sportsnet a few months ago? Yeah, of course so, I do. What a guy! Yeah, awesome guy. So CJ has uh, been doing this thing this season, and it's kind of taken taken Twitter by storm. It's a it's a funny thing to keep tra- to to follow along with. When the Montreal Canadiens started the season strong, he came out and tweeted that the Montreal Canadiens are a juggernaut. Not a few days later did the Canadiens start to lose, and then they started to slump, and then things unraveled, and then Claude Julien got fired, replaced by Dominic Ducharme, Alex Burroughs came in. He basically jinxed them. The Toronto Maple Leafs hosted the Edmonton Oilers for three games in a row and beat them one, two, three. Shut out, shut out, one goal against with three different goalies. Remember that that we talked about? As mm-hmm. soon as that ended, he tweeted, the Toronto Maple Leafs are a juggernaut. And then they went on to lose two straight games against the Vancouver Canucks. They lost the very next night against Win- uh, Winnipeg Jets. They just ended that three-game losing streak today, beating the Jets in overtime. So this is the same exact thing. Every single time he... And, you know, he was recently on a podcast and they were talking about the Olympics where the podcast host was like, CJ, I just want, and obviously being a Canadian podcast host said, CJ, the USA team is going to be strong. We want you to say it. We want you to call them a juggernaut to jinx them so Canada can win Olympic gold in a year. So that's exactly what you and I are doing. We've spent the last few episodes sitting here talking about how the Avalanche are going to turn around and go 2-0. They're going to go 2-0. The pass is behind us. The pass is behind us. It never worked. So I'm going to come out and say it. They're going to get blown out by the LA Kings. They're not going to do well. They're going to disappoint us again. And we're going to be here in a couple days or whenever uh, during the snowstorm that's going to you know, hit Colorado in the next few days. 
And then we're going to have our hands up and say, what the hell is happening to this team? That's my prediction, and I'm sticking to it. What say you? Going for the reverse jinx. I like it. I, you know, Let's do I it. I texted you the other day that I think I'm the biggest jinx in the Avalanche media. I know Dater <laughs> likes yeah. to wear that crown, but I honestly think I have perhaps – I wish I really knew the record of games I've covered for the Avalanche because I honestly think they've maybe won a third of the games I've seen, which leaves That's me so at a, sad. a 33% <laughs> winning percentage. That's such a bummer. It's such a bummer because then I have to, I've always had to be the guy in the losing dressing room asking the tough questions to people that don't want to be talking to me. And the, uh, the, the thing that makes me say that the most is the season where I covered the most games was that 48-point season. I was probably oh, at almost God, every, eight, every game there. And even this season, last game I covered was— They got blown out by the Minnesota Wild. Minnesota Wild blowout. So I think I'm a jinx too. So I got knows? in at the right time, huh? <laughs> I really <laughs> did. Yeah. I got in right at the right time where they started to play good and they had the season they had last year and even this year. I mean, they're not winning many games, but they're— they're still, you know, a, a seven four and one at home, which technically is six four and one at Ball Arena because Tahoe was a home game. You covered a loss, so I'm six three and one this year, and it feels like they're playing terrible. That's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So maybe it is you. Maybe it's the fact that we keep saying that they're going to win the next two games. Whatever it is, uh, I know we're kind of turning this into a joke where we're just going to play reverse jinx rather than actually break down the hockey. But the reality is, on you know, being serious here for a second. There's not much to say that we haven't already said. The Avalanche are playing well offensively now. They're not getting the bounces. They have injuries. Injuries, players are coming back. Players are getting injured. Comfer is out. Timmins is out. McKinnon's back. Byram seems to be coming back. Uh, Makar is progressing, but he's not really back. Uh, Pavel Francouz was shot into the galaxy like two months ago. We haven't seen him. God knows when the hell we're going to see him. Eric Johnson is still out after getting cracked by Jordan Greenway a few months ago. It's the same story still. Um... But they're playing well. There's not much else to say but to make a joke out of this and just say, hey, they're going to come out of this eventually. So, I mean, that's just that's just the only way we can look at it right now. Uh, well, the- and let me throw one thing in that we haven't actually added. Kind of like I said, I think we've underestimated the strength of the rest of the division. I think yeah. that— I think they're playing uh, the Anaheims, the L.A.s, the Arizonas. Those are the teams that are really frustrating the Avalanche right now, right? Those are the teams that the Avalanche went in expecting to take two games and ended up only winning one. So, And I proved it a little bit there with kind of pointing out how the discrepancy between first and sixth place in this division is way tighter than any of the other divisions. I mean, in most, I'll give in, you... I think two of the other three divisions, the first place is pretty much already set. Yeah, I'll give you L.A. and Anaheim. I won't give you Arizona. Arizona's playing just as bad as they did in that five-game playoff series against the Avalanche, where if you remember, I mean, if the Avalanche and Coyotes right now had a four-game series, you want to know how these last two games would end after they had already played two games? The same way that the series ended in the playoffs. The Avalanche eventually just, just got to the point where the Coyotes couldn't hold it anymore and let in seven goals in game four and seven goals in game five. What we just saw for the past two games reminds me of games two and three of that series against the Coyotes. The Avalanche dominated. Their goalie stole one game. The Avalanche had to squeak out a win in another game. If you remember, Burakovsky scored with like a minute left. That was the night McKinnon did his, uh, that's why I win fitness testing every year comment. And then they came out in game, they came out in games four and five and just obliterated the Coyotes. So I won't give you the Coyotes. I'll say the Avalanche kind of screwed that one up. Anaheim, absolutely. LA, absolutely. Well, Hell, that right there is also what's frustrating about this team, they right? Won. Is that they dominate a team and can't yeah. win, and they do yeah. it all the time. 
Remember when they were the team that used to get dominated by the Blackhawks and Varley would make like 47 saves and even though the Avalanche would have like 11 shots and it would be like a Max Talbot bounce off of his shin to win the game. Like it was just weird for a few years. But it's good to be on the other side uh, being the team that expects to win. Uh, maybe that's the problem. Maybe the Avalanche just expect to win every night. And like you said, you know, the other day, they just they're playing like they have nothing to prove. I don't know what it is, but all I know is that the LA Kings, uh, there's a player named Dustin Brown who has uh, reversed the clock about 10 years because he's got 13 goals and, and the Seattle Kraken are excited to have him next year because Give him he's, the C. he's, yeah, he's playing out of his mind. Andre Kopitar is playing out of his mind. All of those veterans, Jonathan Quick is playing out of his mind. Um, they're going to be a test. But if you're the Avalanche during this four-game homestand, you're two, one, and one. Uh, is it is it crazy for me to say again that they need to win their next five, and that's going to include games against Minnesota, uh, because they need to start to pick it up. And I think McKinnon being back is uh, just what the doctor ordered and what they needed. And I know he didn't have a point last game, but you you can feel his presence and his energy. You really truly can feel it in the arena from the opening draw on the bench. The way Landeskog and Rantanen were playing yesterday uh, says to me that they're excited for McKinnon to be back because they were giving it 120% when the games before that, they were probably giving it 95%, which is still good, but not as good as when you have an electric player like McKinnon as your center. So and it's Val Nachuskin buzzing. Oh, and Val Nachuskin just looked, he almost won it yesterday too. He had a chance and he was, you know, stymied by Auntie Ranta, their backup goalie, because Kemper's hurt. So, you know, it's great for them to have their backup goalie. Ours is somewhere in the universe. We don't know where he is. He kind of disappeared many months ago, many moons ago. But, I mean, that's all I have. I All, all I can say is against the LA Kings, you know, we, ha we both have our hands up right now, and that's just the reality. Against the LA Kings, uh, you need to keep doing what you're doing and just pray to God that the puck bounces in in your favor and uh, maybe get back onto a streak like they had before that COVID pause. Uh, kind of led to the inconsistencies they have now. So we'll see how it goes. No one's coming back from injury anytime soon. Byram's going to be the next one, and it's not Friday. So uh, you'll probably be listening to this on Friday, but Byram will not be back tonight. Um, maybe the next game on Sunday and the second of two games against the LA Kings, assuming Denver doesn't get buried in snow and the game doesn't get postponed. We'll see. But that's that's just the reality is, is the Avalanche are doing everything right and they just got to keep doing what they're doing and then just pray and hope that the results start to shift in their favor. Yeah, I mean, their backs are against the wall and it, it seems like the cards are stacked against them. But these next two games are must wins, in my opinion, especially for the fact that I pointed out you can't give L.A. any hope that they're going to compete in the standings. So you got to kind of gain some separation from them and, and the bottom feeders of the division and kind of separate the division a little bit more and climb, you know, climb the standings and, and just make it known again that you are a force to be reckoned with and not a team that can get beat getting even even if they outshoot the team two to one. Yeah, absolutely. Is that not even two to one, four to one. Dude, they they outshot them eighty one. Four to one. Okay, so bad math probably, but closer go, to four to one than two to one. Yeah, go so going into that series against the Coyotes, the Avalanche had gone twelve straight games where they had not allowed thirty shots on goal. Which again, going back to the days of Varley and the way he had to stand on his head for so many years in front of a defense of Andre Benoit and Greg Zanin and Corey Sarich and all these guys is pretty crazy to think. Well, over the next two games, that streak has since extended to 14 games, obviously, because they didn't allow the Coyotes to get 30 shots in either game. But then you do the math, and the Coyotes didn't even combine for 30 shots in both games. 
They had 14 each night. That's crazy. They somehow scored four goals on Grubauer on just 28 shots. And I don't even blame Grubauer. They were all goals that he didn't even, like, it wasn't even a goal where you say he should have had that. He just allowed four goals on 28 shots over more than 120 minutes of play because there was an overtime in that second game, 124 minutes of play. Um, it's been weird, but they're playing defensively. They're playing really strong. I'm going to say what I say on every single episode. Shout out to Sam Gerrard. He is an absolute beast. Devon Taves looks great. Hell, Jacob McDonald's a nice surprise. Everybody just seems to be clicking on defense. The goaltender is doing what he has to do. Granted, he doesn't have much support. Hopefully, he gets that soon. Uh, Elliot Friedman mentioned Jonas Johansson. He's a Buffalo goalie, uh, and he kind of connected him with the Avalanche. He said that's who they've asked about. He's kind of a Michael Hutchinson leveled goalie, like you were talking about the last episode about getting Anton Forsberg. So that's something to keep an eye on. Everything's going well except for the puck in going into the net, which is the most important thing in hockey is actually scoring. So we'll see where it goes from here, but uh, I, I still I have no reason to doubt that this team is going to turn it around at some point. Yeah, last thought from me before we wrap up this episode. It's, I think, a good sign that I'm seeing from the team that the body language and it just feels like the camaraderie is all positive still. Yeah. It seems like they're still enjoying each other's company. They're still having fun out there on the ice. So I think that's a that's a good thing. That's a, a there's no toxicity within the room. There's no pointing fingers. Nobody hating on each other. No. And of course, we're further than the room than we've ever been. So I might be a little bit wrong but about it, that. But it doesn't seem like that. It really mm -hmm. doesn't. The way that they're interacting at morning skates, at practices. Uh, with each other during uh, pregame skates, during the games on the bench. It's just nothing is giving off that vibe. Remember Lake Tahoe? Remember how there was all this positivity around the avalanche? The, you know, know every, Yeah, everybody was tripping over the blue line and the red line, and Gabe Landeskog comes on national TV and says, yeah, the boys were ready to come back out and play. And then you go to the Vegas locker room, everybody's pissed off, everybody's salty. Uh, nobody really wanted to be there. Mark Stone kind of confirmed that the other day on his on the Spit and Chicklets podcast. And then he also did mention that uh, Nathan McKinnon is the hardest guy to play against right now, and it's it's impossible to match up against him, which makes a lot of sense because McKinnon's a great player. I just wish he would score more points like the rest of the team right now. But, you know, it's just there's a lot of positivity in this team. They're not going to let this weird hiccup of, uh, of a three- to five-week stretch uh, ruin oh, the first half of the season. <laughs> yeah, three to five weeks is 28 games nowadays. They're not going to let this weird three to five week stretch uh, ruin what is a stacked roster uh, where even the new guys are working. Devon Taves will be here for a few years. Brandon Saad, this might be the only year, but he's got nine goals and he looks great with Kadri and Burakovsky. Uh, they're not going to let this stretch ruin what is a team that is built to win the cup now, assuming Grubauer stays healthy. Yeah, so we'll see what this weekend has to offer. We got a game Friday, got a game Sunday, both against the LA Kings, and hopefully we'll be back by then to talk some more Avs hockey with you. So other than that, hopefully you're listening to this on game day. So hope, I hope you enjoy the game. Thanks for hanging out with Arif and I. And before you close it, I am not going to report that anybody's coming back. You did not hear it from me. I'm not doing that again. Bowen Byram might be back, just not Friday. Hey, I'll have to, I'll have you to heard listen it. back, but I, we might have went through this whole podcast without any errors. We'll see, though. Hallelujah. How did we do it? Um, so, yeah, Crazy. thanks for hanging out with us. We'll be back next week to talk some more abs with you guys. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Enjoy the uh, weekend of abs hockey, and hockey's for everyone, and we out you.